Great. Well, thanks so much, Church, for inviting me and for having me uh, in your lounge rooms or your offices, wherever you are. Uh, like Pastor Steve said, we're living up in Kyogle on the northern rivers of New South Wales, and we're really loving it up there. God's opening up open a, uh, a bunch of different doors, and he's, I guess, presenting before us a bunch of opportunities to speak into different people's lives. And we're really enjoying the season that we're in up there and just the way that he's working uh, through us to the people around us, but the way that he's working in us as well to grow us in our faith. And, and the relationships that we have with each other and, and the people around us. So we're feeling really blessed. Um, Steve mentioned that I'm a teacher. So up, in, up at Summerland Christian College, I teach physics and maths. Uh, next year, I'm teaching chemistry. So I love the sciences. I love looking at how the world works. But most of all, I love looking at how God's glory and his creativity is expressed through creation. And my sermon today is just going to reiterate about how God's glory is expressed through creation, what our response is towards um, his creativity, what our response is towards his voice, and what our response is towards um, those moments when we stop and, and we look and he reveals something new to us. So in this last couple of weeks, we've been finishing up the last physics module, and the physics module is titled From the Atom to the Universe. And what it does, it looks at the grand scale of the universe, everything from stars that are 15,000 times heavier than our stars, all the way down to incredibly small particles. Now, when we look at really, really small particles, essentially what we do is we take larger particles, like a ceramic plate, and smash it against either a wall or the floor. With particles, we smash them against each other. And like a plate shatters, so do these small particles. And what happens is, a whole bunch of smaller little bits are fragmented out through space and we can observe the effects of magnetism on these particles, we can observe the effects of uh, electric fields on these particles, we can analyse their velocities and their mass but something that we can't do is actually take a visual picture of them and the reason that we can't do that is because the energy from the light shining against that object would actually accelerate that particle and, and cause it to move out of that frame before we'd even be able to uh, capture a, any kind of image at all. And so I was talking to a few students about this during class and explaining how we couldn't actually see them but we could see the effects of them. And one student really clarified that for me. She goes, so in science we assume something exists when we see the effects of it even though we can't see it. And I was like, yeah, actually that is true. And that stayed with me for not only for the rest of that lesson, but all afternoon. I went home and I was uh, pulling out bindies and spraying bindies and trying to stop the dog from eating any more chickens and um, just keeping busy. But I could not shake this statement that we assume it's true, even though we can't see it, but we can see the effects of it. Now, the next morning... Uh, my daughter came out, JL, she came out and just randomly said to me, Daddy, Jesus loves me. And I was a really proud dad kind of moment and I was like, yeah, he does. Great. Like, you know, she gets it. She understands Jesus loves her. But every time she'd say it, she'd follow it up with, but where is he? And so I was just thinking about it a little bit, like I sometimes do, and it frustrates her that I don't always give an answer straight away. But she said it to me again. She goes, Daddy, Jesus loves me. I was like, yes, darling, he does. But where is he? And then suddenly this statement from yesterday came back again. We can't see him face to face with a, a photo or an image, but we can see the effects of him. 
Now, where was this Jesus that she was talking about? Well, I realized uh, through that statement that there are a whole bunch of different ways that we can see the effects of Jesus. And I started, I just put my hand on a little chest and I said, well, you know, Jesus lives inside you and, uh, and he's working through you. And so she goes, oh, in here. And I was like, yeah, in there. And I was like, Jesus lives in mummy. And look at, look at um, how Jesus is working through mummy. You know, she's bringing us breakfast and being lovely and, and providing for our household. And I pulled some dried flowers off the windowsill. And I was like, you know, I can see Jesus through these flowers. Um, not that he's living in them, in embodying them, but that there is elements of his character that are revealed through the beauty of those flowers on the windowsill. And it really got me thinking about the moments in my life when I've stopped and I've uh, encountered God's glory being revealed through the world around me. Uh, and sometimes as children, we can really struggle to understand that God can both be uh, invisible, but also infinitely present, and that his presence his presence, his glory, and his beauty is constantly being revealed through creation. Um, before we knew God, we knew his creation. And I was talking with Steve yesterday, and he said something that, that still like, hits me quite hard. It's, it's that creation is almost the Bible to non-believers. Before uh, anyone picks up a Bible, they will see the beauty of God revealed through creation. And so I think it's really important that we learn how to hear his voice through creation and we learn how to hear what he is saying to us. Because we know that God wants to speak to every person uh, through his Holy Spirit. It's just a matter of learning to take that time and learning to recognize how he wants to talk. Now there's a few Old Testament characters that I want to talk about today who God spoke through, spoke to through his creation. Now, uh, most of us have heard the story of Abraham. We know that he was an old man and he was getting really frustrated because he'd, he'd earned all of this wealth. He'd worked hard his, his whole life and he was really fearful that uh, a member of his household named Eleazar was going to inherit all of his belongings when he passed away. And um, Sarai, his, his wife at the time, was getting beyond the age of, of childbirth and he was really confused with what God was doing. He really, really wanted a child. And he walked, God spoke to him and called him out one day. And he said to him, and he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven, lift your eyes, and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I love this story of Abraham, how God uses the stars to reveal to Abraham his willingness to bless him abundantly in the future, even if what before him in that present time wasn't what Abraham was hoping for, there was a promise that God laid out, revealing to him, revealed to Abraham through the stars. I love that Paul goes on in Romans and uses Abraham uh, as an example of a man who lived by faith. It says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, when we read that passage through the lens of Hebrews 11, which says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence in what we cannot see, we understand that faith was uh, outworked through Abraham based on the hope that he was given by God revealing to him through creation his promises uh, for the future. And I love that 
uh, Abraham's position with God, his right standing with God, was a result of this revelation. It was a result of the hope that he had. And it was a result of an understanding of the glory of God displayed through creation. Uh, it says that God's, God's creation is a symbol of his promises, giving us hope, faith and confidence to lift our eyes and be reminded of what promises he's laid before us. The stars speak of the multiplication of his kingdom. The grapevine, often used in the New Testament, speaks of the fruit that we will bear. The sparrow is a symbol of his provision. The mustard seed is a symbol of what is possible with very little faith. We need to lift our eyes. Now, the second character that I want to talk about through the Old Testament was Job. Now, Job was a man who lived blameless before God, and uh, Satan came before God in the courtroom of heaven, and he was like, you know, Job only likes you because you've blessed him abundantly. Look at the wealth that he has. Look at the family he has. Uh, look at all the possessions that he's accrued. Oh, he only loves you because you've given him everything that he wants. And so God agreed with Satan that, that Satan could, could strip him of all of these possessions as long as he didn't kill Job. And so we, we read uh, for about 34 chapters, Job being stripped and, and these friends coming um, back to Job and they're like, oh, you know, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned against heaven. And Job's like, no, I, I haven't. I'm not convicted of anything. I'm not feeling like God's telling me to repent of anything. And eventually when we get to uh, chapter 37, Job's just furious he is so angry he's so upset he goes god i don't understand i've got all of these questions you're not answering them you're not speaking to me what is going on here what is going on and he's almost uh, accusing god without sinning accusing god of abandoning him and forsaking him and not being a, a god who upholds his promises and i love that this massive uh, revelation comes to job when god speaks to him um, beginning in chapter 38 uh, I'm going to read from um, 38, 1 to 18. This is just the message version. I think it's just a nice artistic way of explaining it, really. It says, Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Joe. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you and I want some straight answers. So after Job has been presenting God with all of these questions, all of these confusions, basically Job is just like, why are all these bad things happening to good people? And this is God's response. Not a direct answer, but with questions. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly, you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and its measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise? And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in, in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so that it couldn't run loose. And I said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. And have you uh, ever ordered morning get up? Told dawn, get to work. So you could seize, the, uh, seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches as the sun brings everything to light. Brings out all the colours and shapes. The cover of darkness is snatched from the wicked. They're caught in the very act. Have you ever gotten to the bottom of things, explored the labyrinthine caves of deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding, regarding death, uh, death's dark mysteries? And do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. Now, this is only half a chapter of four chapters 
that where God is speaking to Job through examples of his creation and how his size, about his glory, about his reign. Um, and it's just revealing all of this, these mysteries that we ponder subconsciously but often don't take the time to really think about. What God is saying is he's saying, you don't understand everything and you possibly won't understand everything and that's okay because I am God, not you. What is important that you trust me first, that you lift your eyes and recognize my glory revealed. I will reveal the answers to you that I want to reveal when the time is right, if there ever is a time. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that we, um, we shouldn't seek knowledge. But what I'm saying is, is if we seek knowledge without understanding first the love of God, um, it becomes twisted and it becomes prideful. What we need to do is lift our eyes and seek that revelation of God's love and understand his desire for an intimate relationship with us. Now, the last story that I want to share is King David. Now, we often know King David as being a man after God's own heart. Now, we look at King David's life and we can relate in some areas and other times we're like, well, man, you've, you've pushed the boundaries here. But King David writes in Psalm 19, 1 to 6, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. He also says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? mortals that you care for them now like i said king david went through some really rough patches in life he fled from saul for for over a year and he fled from his son absalom for over four years yet god continued to work through him he even went as far to um to kill the husband of the woman that he wanted to marry and god continued to work through him See, see, King David was given a promise he was brought in from um, from the fields as a young boy and he was anointed um, and he was promised that he would be king uh, of Israel one day. And so he was aware that, that hearing the stories of Abraham, hearing the stories of Moses and all of these fantastic men of faith and women of faith that had gone before him, he was aware that his God was a God of promises. And so when he looked up at the stars, he remembered hearing the stories of his childhood about Abraham who was brought outside his tent. When he went to fight Goliath, he remembered the times that God delivered him from the mouth of the lion and the claws of the bear. He remembered all of these promises that had been revealed to him out in that field. Um, King David um, often, uh, when he was writing different psalms, would have little musical breaks, and they're called Selah moments. Now, for those of you at Belmont Christian, if you're a staff member there, or maybe if you're a student who's ever walked upstairs, there's a big round window at the top that I loved. And uh, that window was titled the Selah window. And basically what it was, it was just a moment when you could walk out of your busyness just to stop and to appreciate what we have before us. And sometimes we get so caught up, either knowledge has puffed us up or the routine has frustrated us, but we forget to stop and we forget to admire and we forget to be thankful for what God has given us. Now, I love King David for 
a whole bunch of different reasons, but, but I love this reason right at the end. When King David was forced to leave uh, Israel, on his way out, there was a man from Saul's family who was yelling out at him. He was cursing him in 2 Samuel 16. It says he was throwing rocks at him even. And one of the mighty men turned to David and he goes, oh, you know, just let me go and I'll cut his head off. I was like, oh man, calm down. Um, but, but David says to him, no, what if God has sent him to say that? What if God has sent him to, to you know, say these curses to me? What if I've done something really uh, upsetting and, and God's actually trying to teach me something through this? And we know that, that our God is a loving father who wants to grow us and wants to um, discipline us as a good father does. And it's pretty hard, I think, for, for us to reconcile that, that this, these bad words about um, King David that were coming out of this man's mouth saying that he was a, a bloodshedder and that he was a murderer, um, that they could actually be used to grow King David. But it, it comes from King David's heart. It comes from his understanding that God reveals his glory through his creation. And that man, as mean as he was, was God's creation. Now, we also are God's creation as well. And so it's important to realize that I don't necessarily mean when I say get away with creation, when I say get away with, with God's creation or to have a break, I don't necessarily mean like hike uh, the 10,000 stairs and sit alone for a year and don't say a word. But what I'm saying is, is get involved with people. Get involved if you do need that quiet time to take that moment, to have that sailor moment. I remember my first ever uh, real sailor moment where I realized the, the glory of God. Uh, we were down on the farm and one of my older brother's friend's dads had come around and he was a, quite a sciencey guy. And we went out and we looked at the stars that were just scattered across the sky. Just this ocean of these shining, glimmering lights that were up there in the heavens. And he started pointing out the different constellations and where Jupiter was and where Mars was. And I was just completely in awe at the size of what I could see. And it's only just the beginning. When you start to really explore the magnitude of the universe, you understand that our solar system alone is one of thousands and is light years across. Man, the temptation there is to make us feel quite little. But that's not God's intent. God's intent isn't for our eyes to be on us. He wants us to lift our eyes. He wants us to lift our faces towards him. He doesn't want us to think of ourselves as being incredibly, incredibly tiny. He wants us to think of him as being incredibly, incredibly magnificent. He wants us to taste and see that he is good. He wants us to receive his glory and to realize that although in, in comparative size to him, when he's massive, he cares so so deeply about us so deeply it's often an argument about atheists to say you know the selfishness of christians is to think that a god that created the universe in all its complexity cares intimately about us but that is where the beauty of christianity lies now i just want to finish um, by saying this last thing god speaks to us in ways that are incredibly personal we've just got to be willing to listen when my daughter was born um, it was a product of having dated my wife April for six months, I know, pretty short, engaged for seven months, married for eight, then we fell pregnant. She was pregnant for nine months. When my daughter was born, she was born at 12.34, one, two, three, four, on the 5th of the 5th, and she weighed 3.45 kilos, 3.45. God knows that my heart and my interest lies within the maths and the science and the complexities of numbers, and so he was just telling me, hey, I'm in this. Hey, I'm, I'm present in this. It might not seem kind of 
obvious through the calamity and the chaos that can sometimes be a 21-hour labor. But God's in this, and he wants to speak to you the same way that he wants to speak to me. And I love that our God, being infinite in his size, infinite in his glory, infinite in his love, cares so deeply about us on an individual level. So what is God saying to you? How is he revealing more of his character and his love to you? I really do want to encourage you to take some time this week to have one of those sailor moments, whether it's with a friend over a coffee or whether it is just in the silence. Just take a couple of minutes to have a look, appreciate what's around us and ask God, where is your glory in this? I just want to know you more deeply. So let me pray for your church that you just have a fantastic week. God, I just thank you so much for every single person that's viewing this online. And, uh, and I pray, Lord, that you just continue to speak through your creation to them. I pray that we are just used as, as vessels surrendered to you. That we just uh, lay before you, Lord, ready to be filled and overflow into the people around us. God, I just pray that during this crazy time that's been um, this coronavirus season, Lord, that this isn't known as a coronavirus season, Lord, but it's a known, uh, known as a season of new beginnings. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you're working through people, the way that you're working through um, uh, employees at different jobs, working through teachers and students, um, working through creation, Lord. I, I just thank you that you're revealing yourself through all of those. God, I pray an incredible blessing over uh, everyone at, uh, that's viewing this, this video. I pray for healing to those who need it. pray for wisdom to those who need it, Lord. Um, and most of all, God, I pray that we continue to grow deeper and deeper in love with you and that our walk becomes more and more intimate, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.